Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talked with Adam Werner of Elite Ag, a short-line dealer in Leesburg, Georgia. Casey and Adam sat down to talk used equipment in the chopper market during the Dealership Mind Summit this summer in Iowa City. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who's making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their iron search and iron guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably, while iron search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. Casey and Adam get the conversation started with a discussion on how he went from a farmer to Crown Territory sales manager to a short line dealer. They also talk about how customers in the South have a large fleet of equipment, and many of them had become accustomed to multi-unit discounts and rolling equipment every year or two. That all, of course, came to an end in 2014 and 2015. Let's listen in on what Adam has to say. I had the pleasure of running across Adam and his wife at the Dealer Mind Summit in uh, Iowa City this year and got to talking to him, and he uh, deals in choppers out there. And uh, what brand of chopper do you guys carry? Chrome. Chrome choppers. So we had a little yep. conversation going. We were talking about kind of the state of the chopper market, where it's at, and I really don't care what, what color you're selling right now. Chopper market's a pretty tough place. So I wanted to get Adam on and get his uh, his view of what he sees happening in the chopper market and his overall view of the, uh, of the used equipment marketplace. So Adam, why don't we just start like this? Why don't you give me a little background on yourself and, and Elite Ag? So with myself, uh, actually I was a fifth generation farmer, my dad and granddad, north central Georgia. One thing led to another, as most uh, farms seem to happen these days. Grandparents passed away. My dad had a bunch of brothers and sisters, and one thing led to another. I, wasn't gonna be able to, I knew I wasn't going to be at a farm there for the rest of my life. Uh, actually, an opportunity came up for me to go to work for Crone. So I was a territory sales manager for a couple of years. Then they moved me to Memphis, and I was uh, head of product marketing for all of North America for a couple of years. My partners that I have in Elite Ag, uh, they were some of my dealers when I was working the territory down here in the southeast and their business was growing and they wanted to open up a new store in uh, South Georgia to better handle the market in Georgia. And uh, they offered me a partnership to come on. So we actually have another store in uh, Live Oak, Florida, and then my store in Leesburg. We are mainly a short line dealer that uh, sells versatile. And Chrome would be our two predominant lines. And then uh, we also sell Coyote and a bunch of other short lines that go along with the silage business and the dairy and beef commercial hay. That's kind of our little niche in the market. Uh, We're in a huge row crop area, but it doesn't do much with uh, cotton or peanuts. But our little niche has been good. And our customers, they, they can come to us and buy from one end of the spectrum to the other in terms of what they need for that little sector of the market. Also along the way, got locked in with uh, Mr. Mike Rankin uh, with Hay and Forage Grower and write an article for, for them uh, for the Hay and Forage Grower magazine every month. Okay, there you go. All right, so Adam, been talking with, I've got several guys down uh, in the south in Georgia and in Florida, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, on that area, and, and the, uh, the cotton market has kind of revitalized that, that equipment market space down yep. there, especially when it comes to the youth side. Like you said earlier, 
the uh, the cotton side of the business is not necessarily something that that you're niched in, but it's got to have some effect on your business. So how how is that affecting yeah. everything, and and kind of what what do you see happening out there in the used marketplace? Uh, for sure, the uh, the market has been stronger this year, all the way across the board. Uh, it affects us on tillage uh, planters and and tractors on the big tractors, and and we've seen a lot more guys that have been holding off for the last year or two. They for sure have been. Um, Pricing and looking to upgrade, not always pulling the trigger. The deals uh, still seem to not be quite uh, what they were accustomed to. So some of them are still holding back, uh, but then some of them they've gotten their hours up way past what they're what they're accustomed to. So they're uh, really looking to get out of them before they get on up there four to five thousand hours per hour. Because we typically use our our decent sized farmers will be seven hundred and fifty uh, hours to a thousand hours a year, smaller farmers, 400 to 600. Mm-hmm. So now I've said, okay, so I've said this a few times on here where I think there's not, you know, obviously there's not a ton of money just floating around in the bit in the market right now. And, and a lot of guys that are upgrading their equipment are doing it because they have to, not because they want to. And kind of yep. what you just said there, is that a pretty fair statement for what's happening in your area? Yes, sir. That is, that is a fair statement for sure. The catch for our guys was, uh, for the better part of a year, uh, ten years there, lease, lease, lease. That was the that was the thing to do. And and our fortunately or unfortunately, our farmers down here have to own so many pieces of equipment. You know, our average, you know, three thousand acre farmer or so is going to own eight to ten row crop tractors, uh, if not more than that, that they have to use. And uh, so that they were wrapped up in the multi-unit discount, the mud deals and mud programs and rolling them every year to two years. And, uh, of course, the brakes got put on that in 2014 and 15. And so some of those have been ran since 2015 at 1,000 hours a year. So that puts them, like I said, in that 4,000-hour mark, and, and they're out of their, running out of their warranties and stuff like that. So it's got them feeling a little bit itchy. <laughs> about running out of warranty because they've been so accustomed to for the last 10 years of running everything under warranty. Yeah, no, I can understand that. So what are your customers doing to combat that? I mean, where, what's their state, what's their mindset? Are they buying extended warranties after the fact or are they just kind of yeah. rolling the dice every year and see what happens? Uh, a lot of the guys uh, that, that can't afford to step back in a new, that, that are still on the tail end of those leases from 14 and 15, mm-hmm. they don't have the down payment to get to get back in a new tractor and uh, the new walk away leases that they're used to are are not as appealing as they were uh, in terms of cost so they're looking at the lease return tractors now instead of a brand new one so the anywhere from two to four year old tractors uh and then obviously adding an extended policy to them and it depends on the farmer whether they want to go bumper to bumper you know full extended or just just covering the powertrain just covering the big stuff yeah. So the machines that they're looking for. So I would assume that there is a uh, a bit of a gap in, in in the user equipment market there when you start taking a look at the the hour ranges. Probably not a lot of late model, low hour stuff floating around. A lot of uh, probably three thousand plus hour stuff out there for the uh, for the taking. Right down here in the southeast right now, the the late model low hours are are fairly tough to come by. I know some of the bigger guys. They put some out there and had a few of their customers that they've kind of still tried to trade them in and out just so they've got some of that stuff there on their yard. But for us, uh, with our tractors, we've been actually bringing in a bunch of lease returns out of the Midwest that are lower hours, even though they're three years old. But 
you know, the hours in uh, Iowa, Illinois, and stuff up and through there's 300, seems like three to 500 hours a year. We're by, we've even got some tractors only 500 hours on them, and they're three years old. So for our customers down here, that's a home run uh, for the, for the, being that low hours and right. three years old. Yep. We're seeing the same thing here, too. When you take a look at our inventories that we have across the nation, you just take a look at whatever there is. And that late model, low-hour stuff as a percentage of, of the used equipment inventory, you know, nationwide, whether it's Deer Case, New Holland, whomever, yep. um, it's pretty slim pickings. There's not a lot to pick from. Right. The other thing uh, a lot of our guys got accustomed to over the past six years or, or 10 years, really, was the rental business. Um, they, they got, they got accustomed to renting tractors because especially, especially the deer in case the bigger dealers, the conglomerates were flush with these lease return tractors that were sitting there that they owned vast majority of them. And so just to get some, uh, to help on that interest, I, I know that's why they did it. They, uh, they were renting those tractors for two months at the time, you know, three months here and there for spring planting and fall harvest. And it hasn't come to a halt. But uh, I was talking with a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a used equipment manager at a John Deere group down here, and we talk a good bit, you know, and he just said, I decided to put a stop to the rental, or at least we were going to get a decent chunk from it because they were losing sales. Yeah. Um, and they were actually losing sales because the rental had become such a mainstay for the farmers that they just assumed that they were going to rent two tractors or one tractor every spring, two, one or two tractors every fall, and that was going to be uh, the same or less than a payment. And they right. didn't have to keep it the whole year. So mm-hmm. that was, that's been something that uh, we've seen a big change in uh, in the last year is, is uh, I guess, the unwillingness to rent or the lack of rental tractors for our, for our guys. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's going to be a bigger and bigger situation, kind of like what you said, going through 2013, 14, 15 16 17 you know the aptitude to run out and rent a tractor now is is way less than what it used to be because what you said you know it takes it takes a a customer out of the sales cycle it also takes a machine out of the sales cycle and then um depending on how you have the rental contract written or not the dealer may be uh on the hook for all the all the repairs when it comes back unless it's damaged you know and that's such a vague term right it's a now now we did have we did yeah, it is. Now we did have one dealership put in a complete rental store mm-hmm. and they put, and that's all it is. And I'm talking from lawnmowers to the nine series, um, you know, articulated tractors. And so that is, that was, that's kind of been different, but they're, they're big enough where they can do it. Uh, so that they have eaten up a lot of that market. I mean, some of those guys are three, four hours away renting from that one store. And, and, and I know that store has been going crazy. But I still think it's better on the dealer level. Speaking from a dealer, you know, if you can rent it as, as little as possible, that's better for the sales cycle and you know, better for the customer in the end. I think we can put him in the in the right lease and or the right payments and yeah. still get him what he wants. Yeah, the one thing about our industry that we've kind of probably need to overcome a little bit is the is the the mentality of renting a piece of equipment for whatever. Just pick some number, hundred hours or whatever it is. Yep. It's it's an undetermined amount of time that you get to rent those hundred hours. You know what I mean? And so I mean you can go out the first part of June and it might not come back till August, but they're gonna use it for a hundred hours. You know what I'm saying? Right. We need to figure out the time at time out versus the time used as far as charging for rent. And that would probably cure a lot of our problems. 
Now, our guys down here, Casey, uh, have gone to a strict, and I mean, everybody is very, very strict. Uh, all the big guys down here are 100-hour minimum per month and a two-month minimum. Okay, there you go. So 100, 100 hours a month and, and a two-month minimum. And then that, that really didn't scare our guys, like I said, because of the number of hours that we use. Mm-hmm. They, they put the price up there where, all right, now I have to rent it two months and the price is up. All right, now it's a payment on a tractor. And right. so that's where we've come in actually with our versatiles. Being, uh, being, being as affordable as they are, we've, we've been, in, been able to get slide in there and, and grab a few of those that were normally rental customers and put them in a tractor, you know, that sits at their place all year round for the same money. Right. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about your, your short line strategy. I noticed I went to your website and I've looked at the back of your business card. You have a lot of lines that you guys represent. Talk to me a little bit about that strategy and, and why you went down that path. Sure, sure, sure. So we've been, our store in Florida has been open for 20 years. Okay. And uh, huge, huge dairy market right there in Northeast Florida, uh, right there in the Panhandle. And there's also a huge uh, hay market uh, right there for the horses that are all through the race, from the race horses to the show jumping and all that kind of stuff. It's a huge hay, commercial hay market. And not a lot of people know it, but uh, Florida would be number two in the country for number head of beef cows behind Texas. Okay. So uh, there's tons, tons of beef. And so that was kind of uh, one of my partners. That was kind of his deal when he started the business and all was to kind of, he kind of just fell into those places of need. Guys were needing somebody that, that, that concentrated on that because that was their only business was either the dairy or the commercial hay side of things. And so we kind of fell in there and, and one of the things we've tried to do with our short lines that we do sell is we try to go find the best in the market. And what we feel is the best in the marketplace, not be the low price leader. We want to be, in most cases, we are the highest priced um, when it comes to our competitors, but we feel we've got the best product. And so we sell everything from the mowers, rakes, tetters, uh, to the bale bearings on the small square bale side of things. And then on the forage harvesters, Again, we've got everything that they need from from the when they're doing winter forages in the spring to corn silage. Uh, we sell the dump carts, semi trailers, uh, the ten wheelers, all that kind of stuff, and then the dairies, feed wagons, manure spreaders, tankers, all that kind of stuff to go with it. We even sell some barn stuff. So it, it, it one just kind of fell with the other, and our our customers they, I guess we're lucky that. Uh, a lot of our customers are still fairly loyal. Uh, that seems to be something that's going by the wayside a little bit uh, these days. But a lot of our guys like to come into us because we are still basically a, a small, you know, family-owned kind of dealership that uh, they can get everything there at one stop. When they call, we know who they are. We know what machines they have. They don't they don't have to uh, – they're not a number to us by any means. So we the lines we sell just kind of ones that we – fit with what else we were doing and we thought that they were some of the best that you could get right so you've you've really niched yourself into that into that very unique marketplace with with whether it be dairies or like you said the custom hay um applications and yep. you can't you can't talk dairy or hay for that part without talking about chopper so let's jump in the chopper talk here a little bit yeah man i'll tell you what the chopper business has been it is a feast or famine deal one year it's the best thing in the world and the next year it's the worst thing that ever ever has been created so <laughs> So talk to me about what you see happening right now in the chopper market and, and where do you see it headed out through the end of the year? 
we would be the epitome of what you just said. <laughs> uh, back in 2016, we sold nine new machines yep. and would have been the number one chrome dealer in the country. Okay. Um, with the number of, of machines and all that we sold last year, we dropped back to three. And this year, we're I've only moved two new machines. Uh, obviously, there's a few used here and there, but um, I mean that's just the way it been. So I mean, you can you can imagine you go through nine half million dollar machines, and then you go back to two. For us, uh, being a smaller business, that's that's a bunch, and that's a, that's a big hit. But these guys, the parts business and all, is, is still good in it because these guys are having to run these machines longer than they normally uh, would, being that the dairy since the dairy prices are down. The things that concern me, uh, probably most with the forage harvester business are as everything is going, bigger horsepower and more tons per hour in terms of production. I'm not really sure, of course, the price goes up with that. I'm not really sure who buys, who's the second or the third home for this chopper. Right. The first guy has a time limit, you know, and, and when he feels comfortable that, all right, this thing's going to cost me more money than it's going to make me or I'm going to have a, an, an, too much downtime for his liking. And I know it could be the same way, saying, same thing said with combines and these roller uh, cotton pickers. Right. Um, the, the money is, is so steep up front that, that can how much can this first guy take a hit to get it down there where really the second owner's most of the time a dairy which most dairies aren't buying right now, or, or maybe, you know, maybe a feedlot owns one, but, uh, but down here in our neck of the woods, it'd be a dairy would buy it for their own shop for their own personal use. But most of those guys don't have the capacity in terms of trucks, packing tractors and whatnot to go along with a Chrome big X, 1100 horsepower, 12 row head, three, 400 tons an hour, <laughs> you know, capability. Right. They don't have the infrastructure for that. They're used to their four to 600 machines. Four to 600 horsepower machine. So we're really concerned about that. We have also, with the trade market doing what it is, we have really slowed up in really in trading in machines. We have basically laid it all out there for our customers, the guys that are interested and said, hey, look, guys, if you want to trade, you want to upgrade, that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll do it. But you probably won't be happy with what we're going to offer you. So work with us. If you're interested, if you want to move, if you want to upgrade next year or whenever, let us know so we can start trying to pre-sale, you know, so we can go ahead and try to move that their trade in before we even, and then we can get them a little more, a little better figure. That's really the route. And, and most of our customers are understanding. We took a bath on a few of those that we traded in there in 16 and, and our customers know that we did and they don't, they don't want, I mean, they, they don't want us to lose money either much as we don't want them to they've been they've been really good most of our customers have been really good at working with us about that and, and so the several we've got listed and just putting feelers out and trying to sell them we don't necessarily try to sell them all over the country just just the people we know and they say hey i'm looking to upgrade and we know that this machine will fit with this customer and we try to get them together that way and so almost just play the middleman We'll get back to Casey and Adam in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Adam left things off talking about the challenges of tractor rentals and what they have done to the market. 
They also were talking about Elite Egg's short-line strategy and working with customers to pre-sell trade-ins. Now here's Casey with a quick message about Moving Iron. Hello, I'm Casey Seymour, and I want to thank Farm Equipment Magazine for partnering with me to bring you the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Use Equipment Remarketing Roadmap. The podcasts are taken from my weekly podcast, Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast is a podcast designed for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. The weekly podcast focuses on current events and trends across the ag equipment marketplace in North America. Along with dealers, I interview the biggest names in the ag industry. Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Ag and Marketing is a regular guest talking about commodity markets and risk management. You can also hear guests like Greg Machinery Pete Peterson and Tyne Morgan of the U.S. Farm Report. If you are in the ag equipment business or have an interest in the ag equipment business, this is a must listen for you. You can find the podcast at movingironllc.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Also at movingironllc.com, you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you would like, you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks, Casey. Let's get back to the program now and listen in as Casey and Adam continue their discussion of finding the next buyer for a used unit ahead of the trade, which is getting increasingly difficult with the farm consolidation happening. They also touch on the trade war and their outlook for the rest of the year. No, okay, so let's talk about that. That's that's the one thing that I've I've talked a lot about inside my dealership here, and as well as um, just on the show here. But that next buyer, it's getting thinner and thinner. Um, you know, especially um, in the situation that we're in now, as far as the economy goes, as someone either retires or they are no longer to continue being able to be in business or whatever it is, and somebody else comes and and purchases that that operation or that land or whatever it is they're doing, yep. it takes out that, that potential used buyer. You know what I mean? How's that, how's that evolving in your area? And, and how do you see that taking place? Uh, you know, how, how do you see that kind of unraveling over the next couple of years? I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Casey. It, it's going to be really tough on us with the forage harvesters down here. Right. Our dealers are consolidating just like our dealerships are. Right. And uh, we just had a corporate dairy hand the keys back over to the bank earlier this year. They had three dairies, about three, three different dairies. One uh, right here, about 15 miles from my store. And then the other two dairies were within 30 minutes of our store in Florida. There's about 10,000 cows. And what's frustrating, I know, for the dairy producers is none of those three, there was not one cow that ever missed a milking. Mm-hmm. The, the, dairy, the, the bank kept it going, and then three different dairies, uh, all which are customers of ours, they bought up those dairies. So that all three of those dairies just got bigger. Each one of them bought one, one herd. That makes it tough because that was a group of guys that cut all that silage, and now that got – it didn't those, – those guys didn't get to keep that business. It went to the guys that were already cutting for those other three dairies. So, so it, it really cut one guy, one of our customers out of, out of some business. There's nowhere else for him to go. So it's that way for us with our choppers too. With us losing dairies like that, we've actually made contacts elsewhere. And so we've actually sent a couple machines to New York. Uh, we've made some contacts up there in New York because they still have more dairies that own their own machines. We've sent several to Iowa and sent, sent one to South Dakota. 
we've we've actually been <laughs> branching out that way and moving our used machines out of the southeast because because the market just really isn't here for some of these machines that we're selling to sell them to the second and third owner. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen out here too, as as there's more farm consolidation. And, and the other thing too that we've kind of noticed a little bit, and it has a lot to do with the economy, is guys now are starting to look at their machine and say, I, you know, I've got X number of combines, for example. If I pick up another 3,000 acres, do I really need to buy another combine? Right. Or, or can I... Can I stretch it out a little bit to where I can make the make my fleet of combines work with my three thousand acres? And most of the time, they're saying, "Yeah, I probably can." Yeah, we'll try it. Worst case scenario, I need to rent one for a hundred hours, right? And then we'll where we assess at the at the end of the year and see how that works out. So we're seeing some of the same struggles you're talking about too, as the farm consolidations happen, and you know, one more buyer gets taken out, or maybe uh, we've had this happen too, where there was a potential. One of our customers needed that other piece of land to, to really kind of justify what he had. Not necessarily buy any more equipment, but spread his costs across more acres, and he can get that. Yeah, and yep. and that now they're kind of in a pinch too. So, I mean, we've got a lot of stuff going on where there's just all kinds of things are up in the air, and all the stuff that you hear in the news about, you know, NAFTA, they kind of got their stuff ironed out with with Mexico and Canada still trying to play some some level of hardball. How's that affecting you guys, as far, yep. especially on the dairy side? I mean, that was the biggest part of the Canadian part of NAFTA was how it was going to affect the dairy market. So how's how's that affecting your your, your customers, and, and how do you see that playing out long term? I don't know that um, that our guys – I mean, they're, they're influenced by it, and, and, and if, if I could go ask uh, any number of, of my guys that own the dairy mm-hmm. – they would all say they would rather have it, the deal worked out, but I don't think any of them are throwing the chips or uh, everything's going, you know, the hell in a handbasket, as they'd say. I, I think they're, they're in it for the, for the long haul and think things will be okay. We actually are fortunate down here in Georgia and Florida that we actually sell class one milk. So we tend to be the highest. If you look across milk prices across the whole country, will tend to be a couple dollars uh, higher than anywhere else in the country. And and so our guys, now, I'm not saying that our cost of production isn't a couple dollars higher than everybody else's too, but, but, but we will be, we at least aren't selling class two, class three milk. So that helps. Mm -hmm. That helps. So our guys have been able to withstand it. It's just hard to know how much longer can they, can they take 15, you know, 18, they need to, we need to be a $18 mailbox check for our guys can do some good. And I don't know how much more $15 stuff they can handle. Stuff to know. Yeah. So are, do you have many of your operations that are, that are moving out of the area and moving to different parts of the country to set up shop? No. Um, for a while there, I'd say 12, 13, 14 guys were moving in. Okay. We had uh, one dairy from California move in and set up shop here in South Georgia. The dairy that turned in the keys, they, the, the, I told you that foreclosed here earlier this year, their actual headquarters were in Colorado. And then we've got another guy just moved in about 20 minutes north of us about four years ago from Michigan. And then, uh, shoot, if you, if you ask me who's the biggest land buyer around here now, Bill Gates okay. is actually the biggest land buyer in South Georgia and North Florida right now. Along with the Mormon Church, they uh, those guys are oof, they are hedging big time. There's fixing to be 
the Mormon church, uh, their farm down here is called Deseret. They're fixing to put in 5,000 acres of pecans here in uh, Leesburg in our county. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where, where I'm right here in the heart of all the pecans that are put up in, uh, in, in South Georgia. And they're fixing to put in 5,000 more acres. They just bought 150,000 acres there in the Panhandle of Florida and pine trees and going to put it in grass and put cows there. And Bill Gates has been in the produce thing, hot and heavy. Uh, he's bought some probably 40,000 acres, 30,000 acres, uh, 20,000 being in one block and big in the produce, big in the produce. And the word on the street was he was going to put on a, put in a dairy for 5,000 cows, but, uh, that has not needless to say with, with milk. Uh, he's smart enough to hold off on that. <laughs> right. But we have not seen people exiting the area. Uh, if anything, it's been the other way around coming to here because water is so plentiful for us. Right. So talk about that a little bit then. So you have two big players coming in, gobbling up about 200,000 acres of, of uh, yep. production ground. How is that affecting your guys, your, your overall economy? And, and is it, you seeing some pros and some cons there? Or are you seeing, you know, kind of, how's that whole thing working for you? Uh, the Deseret thing in Florida with the big chunk of land, that was, they sold some that they had south of Orlando. Okay. So that was more or less 1030, 1031 money. I got you. That okay. one didn't, and they bought, they bought garbage. I mean, it was pine trees is all it was good for. So the cows, I mean, cows will be fine there. They'll be able to grow some grass, but it wasn't row crop ground that they bought up. Bill Gates's deal, his deal has, they, I mean, he has put money into the economy and put money, uh, into the ag, business sector here in South Georgia and North Florida. But the big block he bought was uh, called Swanee Farms. It was already a block and already in production. He more or less just took it over. And then another place, this place called Generation Farms or whatever in uh, Lake Park, that was already in produce. The guy, uh, Mike, who was who owned it previously, he's the best carrot grower in the Southeast. And, and more or less, you know, Bill just kind of came in there and bought him out because he wanted his business and his land and all that kind of stuff where he was or whatever he's got going on. So didn't a whole lot change hands or he didn't go buy it out from under people. Um, so that hasn't been much now on these 5,000 acres of pecans. If they go in, obviously it won't be an immediate impact because you're seven years before you really get some, uh, some, some nuts producing and then you're 10 years before you get anything less. Your trees can actually start paying for for themselves, and then uh, obviously it's a twenty fifty year deal. It's a long term investment, so there got to be some uh, some big hedging there to, to hedge your bets out twenty years. But everybody, every dry land corner is going in pecans here. I mean, the, uh, if you ask me who's making money in South Georgia, the pecan growers dang sure have the last five eight years, and they and they will this year. Yeah. Trees are full. So how's the overall? You know, weather situation been there? Have you been dry? Been uh, been a great, great, been a great year. Great rains. I bet we'll be we'll wind up the year probably towards sixty inches of rain. Um, I was right. I was riding in a combine with one of my customers earlier uh, last week, and shoot, that dang that dang uh, meter stayed at three hundred bushels for a long time. Yeah, he's averaging probably two thirty. 240 you know and it'll hit 300 everybody's got their spots you know that it hit 300 but it stayed on 300 for a long time a couple other really good growers uh in the several thousand acres of corn in the 220s 240s uh, i heard one guy and he's really good he's normally 10 bushels above everybody else he was 255 or whatever he said he was going to be averaging so corn is bumper crop for us down here no alpha toxin or anything like that peanuts look awesome 
cotton they've been having to spray picks left and right to keep it from getting too tall. I mean, heck, it's some of it just almost shoulder high on me, and I'm six tall, six four, and haven't had to run the pivots much. So yeah. our all of our guys are positive. I mean, it's as it's as been as hadn't had to run the pivots as much. Have had a lot of rain. Really, actually, we need the rain to shut off a little bit to get our corn dried down. We should be finished with corn shelling corn by now, but it's been tough to get it dry and peanuts are already starting down on the Georgia Florida line. So peanuts will get going and they won't wait on you like corn will. You got to get them when they get right or they'll be gone. Yep. All right. So let's break out your crystal ball here and let's talk about what we see happening in the future. So I'm, I'm fairly bullish about the end of the year. I feel like we're going to have, um, I think it's going to be similar to the last couple of years where it's been a slow start. And then once everyone kind of knows what they've got, they're going to come, come to the table and re- ready to make a deal. And I think that uh, 19 will be better than 18. Um, so kind of what's your what's your vision of that and what do you see things headed? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on that too, Casey. I, I really believe in terms of the row crop that we have down here in South Georgia and the cotton and peanuts being the main pushers of that sector, both should do well. Both have good contracts. And with, with cotton being 83, 85, I know some guys had some even booked higher than that. Those guys are going to be doing really, uh, really well this year. So I think they're for sure they're going to be coming in December. They're going to wear us out, especially that week between Christmas and New Year's. That's always Wednesday when they want to pull the trigger. Yep. On Last something. minute. The dairy market, I don't know if I'm quite as bullish on it. I, I get farm journals things. I, I get all their stuff, emails, and try to read up and, I try to stay positive for my dairy producers. I don't really know what is going to be the thing that's going to push the milk prices back to $18 class three milk and $20, $21 class one milk. I don't know what that is. Honest to God, truth is going to, have to get rid of some cows. The worst thing that probably ever happened to the dairy industry, and, and I'm saying this from a beef guy myself, growing up on a purebred operation, the worst thing ever happened to the dairy industry was sex semen. And I, I've got sex semen in my tank here. <laughs> I breed my cows with it, but it just enabled herds to grow so fast. And so when, when milk prices were good, boom, they never sold a heifer one and, and grew so fast. And, and so now we have a surplus of cows and, you know, they're voluntary culling, but nobody wants to voluntary cull cows that are making, should be making a money on normal years. I really, I, I really see the dairy market staying flat next year as well, unless something great comes out of Canada, which I just don't see how it's going to flip the market that much. The Chinese, the China deal would have to help a bunch, uh, and it would be a combination of the two. I think would uh, would could possibly turn some things around on the on the milk side of things. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, the China thing is it is like yep. I said. I think I used the the example of the day that it's the uh, it's the baby that won't come. You know, you keep hearing about you <laughs> yeah. keep hearing about it, but nothing ever happens. You know, and and the more I look back and and kind of see what's going on there, I just I, I'm really kind of curious to see what happens after the first of the year because that's when they're going to start really taking the, the bulk of our of our soybeans and they can play games and you know reroute that stuff through different countries and do all that stuff to me that's yeah. going to be the tale you but know. it's still going to cost more oh it's absolutely still gonna cost more it's going to cost somebody it gets there yep and yeah. are they willing to pay more for something they have to get you know what i mean it's not like they can go other places to fulfill their their soybean needs i agree you know so i don't know i still think we're in the best position i still think we are still in the driver's seat as much as it hurts yeah i still think we're in the driver's seat and surplus the tariff surplus thing president trump passed i think it's all in well and there'll be some guys that down here that apply for it, but most of them really don't they just assume make it off their own 
off their own crops and don't worry about a, yeah. uh, just use that more or less as insurance. That's the way most of the guys down here are viewing it. You know, hey, if we get another hurricane or something like that, it comes up through here in the next two months, uh, like we did last year. And, and you know, guys lose 30% or 40% of their pecan trees in a few places and or cotton, you know, is already defoliated and on the ground or peanuts get flooded out. Then, yeah, I'd say we'll probably uh, have some guys participating in it. But uh, barring that, all our guys are set up in the southeast down here for a great, for a great, uh, great harvest. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one farm subsidy that I've heard people just complain about. Like I can't, I mean, of all the things, they, nobody's really been in favor of it. You know, they've been pretty much like what you just said. I, you know, I'm going to get an extra penny for my for you know what this that and the other thing and yeah. you know corn and beef yeah. for the most part doesn't even qualify for it so it's you know there's there's a yeah. lot of things out there where they don't really care about it yeah exactly and i mean at the end of the day you got insurance farmers and then you got uh, you know that, that that'll always apply for every subsidy and everything that they can get and, mm-hmm. and uh that's the way they have their things set out most of everybody wants to make it on their own they don't want anybody's help they're stubborn stubborn in that way and i, I resemble that remark myself <laughs> I can understand that. I can understand that. Well, Adam, man, I think we've uh, we've covered everything I had on my list. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna hit on before we shut it down here? No, no, I, I've enjoyed it, Casey. Okay, man. Well, if guys wanted to reach out to you and and uh, contact you, what would be the best way to do that? Sure, uh, they can they can email me. Um, it's Adam at eliteagco.com, or they can uh, always call me on the cell. Seems like everybody does seven days a week. It's and my number there is 706-474-0091. Well, Adam, I, uh, I appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, I'd love to reach back out to you again and, and get your kind of feel for what the world looks like here in about six months. That'd be perfect. All right, man. Well, Adam, I appreciate you being on and uh, take care of yourself and we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Casey and Adam. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash ask the expert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drives sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us for our next episode on November 1st. For Casey and Adam, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.